0: Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the fab foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open. Spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com helpingfriendly Helping Friendly to learn more. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast. Uh, this is a really special episode. Um, we're going to do a two parts. This will be part one. We are here with David and Brian, who hey. you might already recognize from Beyond the Pond. If hey, guys. Don't,
1: hey. hey. If you don't recognize us, then you got no one to blame but yourself. <laughs> <Why don't> you <laughs> um Brian and you go
0: now? Brian and Dave launched Beyond the Pond in April. Um 16, 17 episodes in at this point While we're recording Um, Really awesome stuff Um, Really, I've learned a lot Every time I listen I get many more um, music recommendations And I learn about bands I've never heard of And I can't believe how much you guys know about music So thank you for contributing so much To the fish community and beyond
1: Thank you for having us on
0: Yeah, thank you guys for having us on a lot Yeah, so Brian um, Brian and I were talking about Doing this sort of crossover And the way that we're thinking about about doing is that this episode, which will be on the helping friendly podcast, will focus on all of our sort of fish journeys, but also touch on music that that um, you know came before we discovered fish, and then music that we started listening to because of fish. And then part two will be um, on beyond the pond, and that will be a little bit more focused on sort of you know the music that comes out of uh, out of fish that we all enjoy. There'll be a little a lot of fish discussion in both, of course, but. Um, I guess we should say that it's pretty cool that we're all in person. Um, we're set up on opposite sides of the table, the Beyond the Pond team versus the HF Pod team, just in case, <laughs> just in case things get, you know, testy.
2: There will be a round of arm wrestling in the middle here. <laughs> yeah. Everybody ready
0: for that. So Brian and David are here, Matt's sure. here, Jonathan's here, and, and I'm here, and Brad is here in spirit. As always, we, we left a chair for him. Poor one out for Brad. Pour one out hey, for Brad. Hey, Brad. Hey, Brad. Hey, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> like Elijah It's a chair for Brad Chair <laughs> <Sure> for Brad. <laughs> Brad. Brad
3: Brad did see the greatest Lonzo Ball performance Perhaps ever last night So he <laughs> yeah. has that
0: He um, He's a good basketball fan um, So so, Brian I sort of summarized What we're up to In this two part episode But anything that you would add In, in terms of the vision or, or kind of what you're hoping That listeners get out Of these two episodes
3: Yeah I mean I think You did a really nice job Summarizing it And once again Thank you guys so much For having us on You guys have been A huge help for us As we've launched And Um, you know, kind of with regards to this, Dave and I, when we started talking about Beyond the Pond, came at it from the standpoint that we're huge Fish fans, but I don't know if I could get through a year with just listening to Fish. There's a lot of other music that comes up in my life. There's a lot of music that came before Fish and that Fish has helped turn me into. And so I guess I would just hope that, um, with our discussions, you know, this would get listeners to start thinking about, uh, maybe a little more what, Brought them to Fish, what their own journey was, and as well, kind of where, you know, Fish is a band that plays so many different styles of music within a single jam, within a single show. Kind of where that can take you as your own listener, as you're as you're moving forward, um, you know, kind of within your life, within your own time, that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. You guys have done a great job, and um, it's sort of part of a growing podcast family. Jonathan's great work on Broke Down Pod, yes. and we have you guys and. Tom, of course, with Under the Scales. There's four or five other music podcasts that have launched, even I think, since you guys. So yeah. it's cool to see that there's so much um, appetite and and sort of willingness, you know, because it's not a it's not a it's not for the faint of heart to start a podcast. As Jonathan knows, having started one after already. Participating in
2: one starting starting the podcast is easy. <laughs> yeah. Continuing to do a podcast. <laughs> the idea right. the idea
3: part is a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Then it's work. You yeah. have to actually set schedules and set notes and take time out of one's evening, often large chunks of time. I think it's great. I mean, just starting beyond the pond with Brian, I mean, it gives me certainly i think we started because we wanted an outlet to talk about other bands that we like other than fish because as we always say we love fish we are fish fans and we sort of want just to share the other bands that we listen to of which are legion and it's great to just have the set evening to sit down and just do the brain dump that is beyond the pond at times
3: yeah i don't have a lot of like Thursday nights where I can go out with the guys and drink beer and talk about music and sports, and so I need the internet for that. And
4: <laughs> yeah,
0: podcast for that. yeah. <laughs> well, it's great stuff. Um, and we're obviously going to talk a lot about music. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys a little bit more about your sort of journeys. Um, I guess we should just dive in. Um, yeah. Brian, you you kind of helped us you know get this started in terms of the outline and and sort of where we go. And um, do you want to kick us off? Kind of well, I guess I'll just say before that obviously we're all here because we listen to fish we're all fish fans and i think the idea here is to kind of think about how we got how we got to fish and and maybe where our musical journeys were before we discovered fish um and brian the way you phrase this sort of favorite bands albums growing up or, or kind of before you discovered fish do you want to start us off and then we can all kind of just jump in
3: yeah so for me um i've been a music fan my whole life my parents met because music um fell in love over music. I don't know if I would exist on this planet if it wasn't for music. And it really starts with a core three bands, the Beatles, Springsteen, and U2. Terrible. This bands. is terrible. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that's really, that's, that's the foundation for me. Um, and really that for me is like their approach to songwriting, their approach to musical evolution, to album construction is really where it began for me. Um, it later led i was 13 i was at a sleepover with a bunch of friends from middle school and someone played another brick in the wall part two and i asked my dad if he knew what that song was and he drove me to best buy immediately afterwards and bought me dark side of the moon and said <laughs> go to your room turn out all the lights and listen to it and don't come out until it's over he said you can't pause it it's just keeps you
2: know Rolling into one side or the other So I'm sorry You asked you ask your dad Tell me about this one Pink Floyd song And he said No son, I'm going to buy you the better album
3: He, 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 said, he, said, he said If you're going to listen to that song You have to start with it's
0: right, right. it. um, pretty amazing Because I feel like most parents would have been like What kind of drugs are you
2: doing? Yeah. And also you're grounded
3: I don't think I really like school at the moment So yeah. like the we don't need no education yeah. Really spoke to me as like a 13 year old And my dad just fed into that um that was like a vivid moment of like okay this is what an album can be constructed into and it kind of went from there that's like the starting point um 90s alt rock came along um but i would say like some of the most defining records of my childhood uh abbey road without question uh joshua tree uh, my first album i ever bought on cd was aria monster and uh David and I were listening to this on the way over here, Siamese Dream was a record that just gave me a complete insight, Smashing Pumpkins, into uh, just really um, aggressive forms of sonic experimentation and layered sounds and songwriting that I just was totally unfamiliar with. So that was really a starting point for me.
0: What about you? What's your what's your sort of pre growing up music?
4: Yeah, so I um, like Brian. I had parents that were really influential in that they played really good music for me, yeah. um, and so you know they weren't playing you know i'm thinking about this because you know, we're all fathers most of us of young kids and um talking about the music thing before like they weren't playing like kids music for me mm-hmm. in the car or anything like that like i was raised on springsteen on you know the beatles on billy joel um on you know really good stuff like that my mom's a huge motown fan mm-hmm. so like motown um you know phil specter girl group kind of stuff um 80s bands that were big at the time, like Genesis and Dire Straits, uh, were were really big for me. Um, my first, you think in like early years, my first favorite band was Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that happened all because of mostly because of Freddie Mercury's death. Mm. Um, that and the Wayne's World thing in '92, they got kind of a bump, and I remember okay. actually watching the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. That was how I really learned about Queen, and like, they have all these amazing songs. And it sucks that I'm watching this because the dude died. Because yeah. they're like the greatest band ever. Um, which side note I I think is cool because that I was the only person I knew as a kid that liked that band. Yeah. And something I've learned getting older and meeting a lot of very music minded people, the number of people that were into Queen when they were kids, mm-hmm. it was I think just like the. Flashiness or the you know theatricality or something mm-hmm. like that really like hooked a lot of kids early
1: me for Queen, like I knew a bunch of songs that didn't realize they were by Queen until Wayne 's world,
4: <laughs> right so right. I
1: would hear all the songs in classic rock radio think like, oh that's queen that's queen, that's queen, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah.
4: Um, in terms of albums early on, um, Octung Baby u uh, twos yeah. was probably my first favorite album that yeah. was one of the first CDs I ever got. Um, Thriller and Synchronicity uh, were when I was a real little kid they were on my parents turntable a lot and then um, they were big requests from me and then I spent a lot of time watching like I knew that I was into the live music thing very early on watching a lot of videos so I had like the VHS tapes of like you know Pink Floyd's Pulse and the um, U2 Zoo TV tour and uh, there was a Genesis live one that I watched and like um, really got into the, um, the the live music thing early on and was was pretty obsessed with it. So um, things I think you know even when I was a young kid were kind of pointing in, in this direction for me. So how about you guys?
1: Let's see. Um, my earliest memories include listening to the vinyl single of Duran Duran's "New Moon on Monday" and building forts in in my bedroom. So. Let's see. I was born in 79, and my parents let me watch MTV with Impunity. So I was hardcore Simon LeVon, like, just on board from day one. Uh, the first tape I remember getting was Miami Sound Machines' Let It Loose. I think that was a Hanukkah present I got in
0: 1987.
1: <laughs> uh, um, officially... When I graduated to third grade, which would have been 88, my graduation gift was my first ever cassette Walkman and a tape of Weird Al Yankovic's Even Worse. <laughs> and I played the shit out of that. <laughs> and at this point, my parents would say, You know, son, what bands do you like? I said, I like Weird Al. I like Aerosmith. And those were the only bands I could really come up with. But I remember. Certainly, I mean, my parents had quite a vinyl collection. Uh, My dad was a hardcore Joni Mitchell fan, and he played a lot of Joni Mitchell in the car, including her really weird 80s records where she got overwhelmed by synthesizers like most people in the 80s did, like (laughs) Dog Eat Dog and Wild Things Run Fast, and they're not very good. But I also recall he played a lot of Steely Dan, and the song Do It Again, I would call it the instrumental song, because it's like two minutes of instrumental before like Donald Fagen's voice finally comes in. <laughs> but I would say the first album I was absolutely obsessed with and listened to three times a day at sleepaway camp in 1992 was Pearl Jam's Ten. Mm. I mean, I was still a bit too much of a wuss in 1992 to be into Nirvana or like Rage Against the Machine. But, you know, Pearl Jam was just heavy enough to rattle my parents a bit, but also had a lot of that's kind of like Led Zeppelin four. I mean, ten is like tomorrow's classic rock today, in that sense. I mean, summer nineteen ninety two for me is where it all started to click because I had my Pearl Jam tape, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which I think every kid should just get when they turn thirteen. <laughs> it'll help them through puberty. <laughs> um, let's see, Faith No More's Angel Dust, Aerosmith's Pump. But also records by Bon Jovi and and uh, Mr. Big. And there was actually there was this like French-Canadian kid in my bunk who played Guns N' Roses User Illusion 2 just just endlessly, over and over. And one day I turned it off and put on 10, and he started screaming at me. And I <laughs> said, fine, you can play Guns N' Roses, but this is this is the future right here. <laughs> like, I kind of had a premonition and then I got Bar Mitzvah in 1992 and I had my dad driving to the local CD store because I knew that an REM record had come out. I knew that REM is a band that I'm like supposed to be listening to. It's got some credibility. So Automatic for the People is a pretty heavy album for a 13 year old.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that one goes a little dark.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's I listened to it and now I realize it's probably my favorite R.E.M. record. I have them all. I think it's epic, but it's a lot of death overtones. <laughs> and I mean, from there, we went to, um, of course, the Columbia House, like 13 CDs for $1. Got things like U2, Alice in Chains, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Remember, I told my mother, you know, I think I want to build up to my collection like 20, 25 CDs and just stop. I mean, she knew that was bullshit, and I knew it was bullshit.
3: <laughs> so it's
0: no ending point. Yeah. So
1: kind of, kind of off to the races at that point. I think
0: awesome. I think User Illusion was my first CD that wow. I purchased, which I was thinking about, you know, thinking this through, and I don't know it. It's a weird that double album is. It was intense. It was like I think I was yeah I was same age thirteen probably when it came out, and it was. It's I'm,
1: intense it's kind of scary. What's funny, with Use Your Illusion, it's only scary until you hear Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. yeah I remember right. seeing that and saying,
4: "Ooh, Yeah. Yeah. What the
1: hell is this?
4: K- kids, kids today, I mean, uh, we'll, get, we'll get on the old man yells at Cloud <laughs> Trip here. But, but no, see, kids <laughs> born after 1990 can't understand like the, the sound when Smells Like Teen Spirit came out. How it just changed everything. It was unbelievable. No, we, we'd never heard anything like yeah. that. I wanted to comment on the Guns N' Roses thing because um, one thing I didn't share, Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction was the first cassette I ever got. Mm, I was five when that nice. album came out. Oh my out. God. Did you have and the original Uncensored un- cover? No. <laughs> no I <laughs> wish I did. But, so this kid, this kid up the street, because my parents didn't let me watch MTV when I was growing this kid up the street told me about it and played Welcome to the Jungle for me. And I'm five years old. And I was like, this is awesome. I want this. And I asked my parents for the cassette. And they were like, can we borrow it? and we'll listen to it and because they'd heard about Guns N' Roses on the news and stuff <laughs> they're like we want to see if it's okay and this is i mean i have to give Credit to my parents because they were strict on a lot of stuff. We listened to side one, and then my dad sat me down and he was like, "All right, that word that he kept saying, that's a bad word, and you don't say it." That was how I learned the f word from listening to this with my parents. <laughs> and they were like, "Don't say that word ever," and we'll buy you the cassette. And I was like, "All right, cool." And they bought it for me. And they he said, it's, and okay them them. <laughs> yeah. "It's okay if you want to dance, Mr. It's okay if you
2: want to drink night train
1: all re- all exactly. night long. Yeah, exactly. Don't say
4: fuck." So. I, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> that they didn't play side two with Rocket Queen because otherwise <laughs> yeah. they probably wouldn't have let me get it. Yeah, probably not.
1: <laughs> single fairy guns and roses song oh such a good song a i love that queen. breakdown God. yeah
0: yeah Duff. i don't know i guess similar stories for me like music all around always my I, I mentioned this in another podcast that i was on recently my stepdad was a huge music fan he had all all the records from beatles led zeppelin the stones traffic um those are the main four that i like remember listening to from 12 or even even younger onwards but that's like, those are formative for me. But I I think I stumbled into the, after the Use Your Illusion, then, you know, Nirvana and, and Smashing Pumpkins. The Siamese Dream to me is it's still like yeah. one of my favorite albums. I just listened to it last week. It's that's incredible. It's, it's so timeless. It's also like just has this, um, I don't know, nostalgic feel, but it's still like also good. Not like nostalgic. Like I can't believe I used to listen to this nostalgic, but like.
3: It does sound at times like it could come out like two years ago. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah,
0: well. It's just interesting. That's like a really common thread I think among a lot of people who who like music now, you know. Um, but yeah, like my 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 dad and stepmom listened to like oldies, you know, like which I guess now is like Motown and Beyond sort of, but that's what it was called at the time. I don't know if it's still called that.
2: It, oldies now, or what? I, what I listened to when I was a kid. So. Yeah. The old station, yeah, because
0: classic rock now like goes into the late eighties. So it's not yeah. <laughs> the genres have shifted, obviously. But um, I don't know. It's interesting because like I think just having music around a lot is like the is the reason that I like music, and I'm we try to do that too. I'm sure you guys all have music playing all the time around your kids. It's just and it's not like they necessarily will be be attracted to the same mm-hmm. type of music, but just knowing that that is like something that is around and exists all the time, I think is an important, um, important element of growing up. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think before, I think I discovered the dead in probably 92-ish when I was probably 13. So that's like when I started, there's like the, there's a short glam rock period, you know, Poison, Motley Crue, um...
3: That was my, like, late 90s pop-punk
0: period. Okay, it's
2: yeah.
3: Of, it's a little bit regrettable, like, you, but it, it wasn't...
0: Was yeah, yeah. it's all fun too. at the time. Don't,
2: <laughs> don't regret it. I think
0: mine was earlier, but then I, like, then I discovered The Dead, and then I discovered Fish shortly thereafter, and then it was kind of all uphill or downhill from there, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> well, what led you here, so... Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, we wouldn't be here without, but, um, yeah, it's interesting, because the classic rock stuff that I was introduced to first is still, like, the some of the most um, enduring of all the music I've ever listened to, like the Beatles. Like, you you know, we don't have to talk about the Beatles being awesome because everyone knows they're awesome. But it's just, it's interesting that the first stuff I was introduced to seems to still be, like, some of the most resonant.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was, um, like, always listening to music. My dad played kind of, eh, music in the car. Um, sometimes good, you know, we'd have Credence, but then there'd be Air Supply. And I was listening to everything that was on. And I could sing along and rattle off all the words. My mother listened to classical music, so I really have better memories of my dad driving us around and singing along to whatever stuff was on the oldie station or the current hits of the seventies station as it were, so Abba songs and all of those things filtered in and then I have this um these two David you mentioned like the first single record that you you know you mm-hmm. remember listening to I had these two memories that are fairly similar one we were in uh, Alabama visiting a cousin and she was a little bit older than my brother, who's a few years older than me. And um, she had this uh, record. Was it was a foreigner. Urgent was the single. Oh, sure. <laughs> and she put that on and turned it up in, the, in her dad's living room. And I was I don't know how old I was. It was still the 70s, I think, maybe 79 or something, whenever that came out. Maybe it was early 80s. I don't know. But I was bouncing off the wall I'm just so ecstatic to hear it. And made her play it over and over again before they finally (laughs) like nope we can't do that anymore and um (laughs) and then we did i did the same thing i was in um i think it was after kindergarten before first grade i was in a daycare in the summer because my mom had uh started to go back to school my dad was at sea so we were in daycare during the day and um they had a record player and my buddy uh, i think his name was keith at the time he and i would put this one single on and listen to it over and over and over again. Love the bit where they get in the middle and go, yeah, yeah. And that was Sir Duke. Mm
1: -hmm. And it
2: was, you know, many years later that I knew what that was. Mm. But that song never, has never left me. And um, that was just over. They made us take it off every day and be like, all right, that's enough. Um, (laughs) Wait, so was your dad a pirate? No, my dad was in the (laughs) Navy. Okay. (laughs) I just wanted to clarify Uh, MTV from the get go too, like right. very mm-hmm. early. We were in Virginia Beach, so we didn't have it, it quite as early as I had it in New York City, but very, very early. And so I, I remember when the Rolling Stones had new songs on uh, MTV, and I because I watched the crap out of it with my my older brother and his friends that were his age, and so um, all manner of because they, they played rock music then, and all manner of rock music. And I stayed with MTV until till I got out of high school. At which point pearl jam and nirvana and all of these bands were were huge and smashing pumpkins were huge on it on there and i kind of followed right along through the hair metal and all the stuff but at the same time i was listening to classic rock radio from when i was maybe eight or ten you know i wanted to hear phil collins songs and uh, Genesis, they had uh, Invisible Touch, which is a, I love the video, and when you hear the <laughs> songs, you know the Land of Confusion video, it's still pretty young. The puppets, yeah, yeah the, with, with the puppets, in.
1: the Reagan puppets, right? Yeah, that
2: was, it was so great, and um, and so I was really glued to that stuff, and that led me into classic rock, and then uh, when I was I was twelve, my buddy Mike was thirteen on his thirteenth birthday, his dad gave him two CDs, um, uh, Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced. And Big Brother and the Holding Company, Cheap Thrills. Wow. Mm -hmm. And those and his, Mike's dad's uh, Derek and the Domino's Layla tape, like, altered me. And very soon after, we were listening to Grateful Dead, and it was all uphill from there.
0: I I, I don't think people, do you think people realize how awesome that album is, Layla? Because it's like,
2: I so focused on on that. Very
0: commonly appreciated. It's just such a great (laughs) album. The whole entire thing is amazing. Oh yeah. yeah. One common thread among all of us, besides the fact that we love fish and we like beer, is that we're all pretty obsessed with music. Um, and this is an interesting question I think, Brian, you came up with. is like, when when did you first realize you were an obsessive music fan? I think that was fun to reflect on. Also, if anyone can hear babies in the background, they're safe. It's okay. We're at my house. <laughs> I think they'll fall back asleep, but we're not holding babies hostage here. Um, I thought that was like a fun question to reflect on. I'm sure people listening have their own... Stories as well, but Brian, what 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 was your um, moment of of realization or or looking back now?
3: Yeah, kind of harking it back to uh, a November morning in 1991. Um, Wow, very specific. (laughs) Well, it 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 all ties to you two releasing the the album Octune Baby. Which, to that point, they were my favorite band. My dad took me to see Rattle and Hum when I was three years old, and I ran up and down the aisles in the movie theater. And <laughs> well, that it, would uh, be annoying. Everyone seemed to think it was cute, at least from my perspective. Oh, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember, you know, so there was huge build up, this huge buildup, this three-year waiting period for Octoon Baby to come out. And there had been yeah. all these reports that the band had almost broken up, and that they moved to Berlin, and that they completely restructured their sound. And it came out... And my mom bought it the morning that it was released and I came home from school for lunch and she started playing it. And I remember specifically when Zoo Station came on and I was like, who is this? This isn't U2, this doesn't sound, you know, I was like six years old at the time. I was almost like hurt that they didn't sound like themselves anymore.
2: (laughs) There were a lot of much older fans who felt the same way. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But I remember, um, you know, telling my mom it sounds completely different from how I remember U2 and she said, and this has always stuck with me, that I might need to give it some time to really like it because they're experimenting. And um, I have to thank my mom for introducing me to the concept of a grower album, um, <laughs> and that records sometimes requ- require way more time than, um, you know, some records you put on and you're just immediately transfixed. And that was the first time where I was like, I have to put actual effort into this. Um, and oddly enough, I remember going back to school and waiting in line to get back into school after lunch and talking to people about U2 and this new album. And nobody, none of my classmates knew what I was talking about. They had no interest in discussing music. And it was my first grade teacher at the time who knew that U2 had come out with an album. And I realized I was on a level with talking about things with my teachers, that there was like an obsession there that I just couldn't really relate to with other classmates. And it was kind of my own singular thing that I was going to go in on. for, you know, the rest of my life at this point until I found Twitter and found other
2: obsessive music fans <laughs> who we were we were similarly obsessed when Octo and Baby came out. And you know, we all like my circle of friends and I, you know, we all were already into Grateful Dead and lots of other things, but I mean it's you too. Yeah. I had friends who went and saw the Joshua Tree tour. I was not permitted to go. But um you know so this was huge and we we got that record and we had a similar experience of going scratching our heads and looking at the the tape deck going what what's happening here (laughs) but before long you know it was just it turned out it just stayed on our tape decks yeah so
4: um
2: That was was like when
4: when, um, Kid A came out, too. Yes. You had this amazing classic record and everybody's like, "Okay, they're going to make OK Computer Part 2 and it's going to be awesome. Right. And like the first notes of everything in its right place. I remember sitting in my dorm room and just being like, what in God's name is this? This is not radio.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was what a lot of people are thinking on 9-11 of the Baker's Dozen. Yeah. <laughs> good, good, good. what is this isn't fish oh it's these guys Yeah.
3: well and you know it's interesting like the concept of like Kid A or Octune Baby it's really affected how I listen to music in my favorite bands I tend to almost look for what their album is going to be that's going to redefine their sound in mm. that sort of sense it's something I really love um, when a band takes a complete directional uh, U-turn almost and is successful and pulls it off yeah. it's one of my favorite aspects of
1: music
0: mm. it's interesting the um... One thing that just reminded me when you're talking about Aktoon Baby, my, my mom and stepdad, I, I mentioned that he had all these classic rock albums, but I also, at the same time, they were always listening to new stuff, and I remember listening to that because they played it constantly, and lots of other stuff that was around that same time, and reminds me that it's it's helpful as a parent who's playing music to kids to not only play the same things over and over, which I have to remind myself not to always play The Dead or Fish, but To keep current, at least somewhat current so that even if it's not the kind of like the style of music that your kids are listening to at the time, you're at least like you're keeping up with with what's coming out. And I think that's like it's good to show that your tastes are evolving along with along with. Keeping the classics, you know I, I hope I can do that
2: Right, that's why I play the new Courtney Barnett, Kurt Vile record at the house mm-hmm. Yeah But I do not play the pop station Sorry <laughs>
1: <laughs> My daughter's currently going through a phase where We'll put on music and she'll say No music! Oh, Just because she's Being a little Like a little Like three-year-old tyrant ty- ty- Three-year-olds are tyrants They do yeah. that In the car, usually we like make a deal We'll play raffi or the hamilton soundtrack for 10 minutes and it's like 20 minutes of mommy and daddy music yeah that's good <laughs> she just has to deal with it so i went
0: i, I remember i went through a columbia house phase too and we were the same age so mm-hmm. it was about the same time so i think like then i was i didn't understand the limit like the idea of limits of music you know i was like well, i'll just keep getting like more and more cds right. until i have every cd that i want <laughs> but then i started trading tapes at like probably 13 or 14 <gasps> and then it was like it's kind of all over from there once i discovered that i could you know use the internet and i mean it was aol like this you know the aol cd and dial up and like the whole thing it actually took a really long time to load a web page <laughs> like Prodigy, yeah i mean it was
1: service my god oh, yeah
0: but for me i once i realized that there was Years and years, and this is ninety three, ninety four. So there weren't that many years before that of fish, but tons of tapes available. And like, you would send people blank tapes, and then they would record music for you on them, mm-hmm. and then send them back to you. That was just kind of mind blowing. It's still like I was thinking about it yesterday. Like getting, coming home from school and seeing new tapes in the mail is still yeah, like looking back on that yeah. with like very fond, fond memories. But then I got to college, and I had six hundred fish tapes, and everyone like thought I was pretty weird, so I guess
2: that answers the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I showed, up, I showed up with a big stack of dead tapes to college, but see, I wasn't trading through the internet before I went to college. Or you were just people who were giving them to just, you. Well, you had to meet people, yeah. and you'd go hang out and spin tapes and and
1: come away with another brick of tapes Yeah, every time. That's and, awesome. Um,
2: That's nice. It's nice to have that in
0: person. Yeah.
1: That's cool. Seeing that, yeah. like, just that awesome yellow padded mailer in the mailbox,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I was, was so best. like... There, all the time I traded tapes. I Only got screwed over by one guy. Had him he was going to send me some Mo tapes. It's no indictment of Mo or their fan base. That's the only time I've ever gotten ripped off. And I actually confronted the guy at a concert. He's (laughs) like, "I'll send them to you. They're coming. No, they're not. Just say they're not. It's okay.
0: (laughs) I'm almost past this. Right, man. Matt, you're 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 an avid collector, and I would say that you're obsessed with music too how did that come about
4: so i can't remember a time in my life when i wasn't obsessed with music yeah (laughs) right right so and and literally my very first memory uh in my entire life is the day of live aid my dad was painting my bedroom it was the first time that i got my own bedroom because my or i was moving into a bigger bedroom because my sister was about to be born i sat uh, and helped, air quotes, my dad paint my bedroom while we listened to the broadcast of Live Aid on WMMR on the radio. And I have a very, very distinct memory of, of that. Um, hmm. So it's that day always kind of um, is, a, is a really nice memory for me. But even before that, I had like, you know, even before I can remember anything, I had actually cracked my head open when I was like maybe a year and a half, two years old, Dancing on a coffee table to Thriller.
1: Wow, <laughs> oh, <man. Dancing. laughs> and you know Good I work. mentioned to
4: I mentioned Thriller and Synchronicity <clears throat> earlier as like two heavy rotation albums um, that came out you know within like a year year and a half of me being born, and my mom could could testify that like you know I was like going up to her as like a two year old and being like, Mom, can you put Synchronicity side two on for me? Mm-hmm. Like I had it <laughs> I had it kind of ingrained in me. Um, <laughs> Another kind of funny thing was that, um, I, my parents were not deadheads, but they would always talk about me singing touch of gray, like sitting in the back of the car cause they was in, you know, like heavy rotation on mm-hmm. the FM stations. Um, and I like knew every single word to it and we'd like sing along to it in the back. So I think somewhere in the, in the back of my mind, it was like always meant to be. That song <laughs> was, was so ubiquitous
2: right for a moment there. The yeah. video was super cool and had skeletons in it. And- yeah. I was like you know I thought that song was cool, but these guys—they've really got something. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: yeah. That video does not hold up well. Actually, I <laughs> like it. no, the one that it doesn't isn't...
2: hold up is the Hell in a Bucket video. Yeah, yeah. but you see the strings, it's like the,
0: the skill—it's
3: right. just
2: like it's right. such but then, a
3: gem of like mid '80s. Yeah, where they put so much money in production. Yeah. Into
2: but music then, I mean, the strings and... were the gag. That was part right. of the gag. Well, yeah, but it's still the dog like, running with the le- yeah, Billy's leg. But you know? wouldn't,
0: you wouldn't like, you wouldn't do that these days unless it was like super
1: ironic make a music video right now. Yeah. That'd, One that'd thing so I was pretty... actually quite blown away by after I got into the dead and started to collect tapes was, I mean, I grew up with Touch of Grey on MTV. And then when I realized that they actually debuted it in 1982, right. I thought, wait a sec, this is 82, 83, but it didn't come out on MTV until 87? Like, what's with these guys?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then,
1: yeah. same with, like, Throwing Stones, I mean, that wasn't on MTV, but just... A testament to how the dead could be kind of lazy with regard to there the studio. There was a video. Really? Yeah. for throwing stones? Yeah,
2: yeah. That, isn't that the one where they had the, the long trench coats, the dusters, the cowboy dusters, and they're walking? Yeah. Oh That's
1: yeah. Something. Oh wow. I haven't seen deep that cut. in a long time. Oh, that was so deep in the back of them. Now I'm okay. I'm <laughs> You've seen it. Yes.
2: <laughs> um, so,
0: Dave, did you talk about how you got how when you realized you were obsessed with music? I don't think you um, laid in on that specifically.
1: I would say specifically. I think it really took off with the grunge era, with Pearl Jam, with Alice in Chains, with the single soundtrack, definitely. Oh, such a good record. I remember they said on MTV, you know, Pearl Jam's 10, this record's out, you probably have, but if you want these two other Pearl Jam songs, Breath and State of Love and Trust, both are incredible, those are on the forthcoming Singles album. So I knew the release date, I went to... I think Sam Goody whatever the heck was in Connect at the time. Got the single soundtrack. Liked almost all of it. Hated the Soundgarden song on it to this day. Still do not like that song, um, that song Birth Ritual. So what I would do in uh, about 1992 or 1993 was an on MTV. They had um, the show in 120 minutes on Sunday nights at midnight. So I would always tape it and then very much rush home and then watch what I had taped in that next Monday afternoon, I would just get excited about bands, not because they're really even any good, just because they were outside the mainstream. I remember bands like the Juliana Hatfield 3 song, My Sister. Not a great song, but just because I had to tape something at Sunday at midnight to see it, I thought it was really, really cool. I would <laughs> show it to my friends. They're like, I don't get it. I'm like, no, this is really good. <laughs> so, yeah, that was kind of when the obsession, when I realized that I was watching all these alternative videos on MTV, they get getting things like the Pixies, and they would show classic REM videos, and that's sort of where it took off from the Pearl Jam obsession in like, the early 90s.
4: What is a city without its music? I saw you, I know you, are knew you
0: So, guys, we talked a lot about different kinds of music and and all the music we listen to. And so, let's talk a little bit about Fish to kind of wrap it up. Um, what 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 influenced you to start listening to Fish? What was going on with you musically? Do you remember exactly when you started listening to Fish? I think that's a good way to kind of wrap up this part of the discussion. Brian, you want to start? Yeah, totally.
3: Um, so I remember being I remember hearing the conversation about Fish as early as uh like 1997 i was at summer camp and uh camp counselors were talking about the song ghost that this band fish was playing and i'd heard the name fish kind of tossed around but i was not about to start listening to summer 97 uh shows or trading tapes at that point it took a few years um a friend of mine in math class shout out to matt bentley uh wore a big cypress shirt uh, through the latter part of our freshman year of high school and talked about this band that played an all-night show on the millennium and all these little things were kind of intriguing me to when I bought Rift and Rift was really the first album that I'd really heard anything of Fish at that point in time Um, I wasn't ready to dive in by any means I didn't really even know where to begin you kind of need someone to like show you the ropes in that sense what it really came down to uh, was three, three things. I loved live music and I loved the power of live music. I was going to see concerts as a young kid and I just loved the sense of this community that came out of live shows, the possibility of live shows. I also have always been a diehard sports fan and I've always loved tracking stats and I've always loved following a history of different teams. Um, and then finally, I was really intrigued by this idea of a band that could, could, could expand on a musical theme and really lead you emotionally and mentally to a completely new place. So this all kind of coalesced when I heard my first live fish tape, Uh 1994 It's a show where the band opens with Helter Skelter, a song that had deep, deep importance to me as my first pure musical moment, as I talked about earlier, was seen rattle and hum in the movie theaters when Bono opens up, with, or when U2 opens up with uh, Helter Skelter in a really dramatic way. It's followed by a "Send of a mule. And by the time they got to the duel in the song, I was completely shocked at this band that had played all these different styles of music with so much energy and precision. Um, I was on a break from being a counselor at a summer camp when I heard this tape. I was actually, I went and saw it trey play at alpine valley this one weekend and john Medeski sat in and it was it's really mind-blowing uh weekend for me but this guy aaron klein introduced me to the band and he'd been seeing them since like 95 96 and um he started to tell me about last time played for certain songs this song's a bust out this song typically gets jammed this is where you get an introduction to Gamehenge, and all these kind of little pieces were forming for me um when they got to the, they do four bins, vibrational life, uh, Mockingbird towards the end of that set, and it just, I was I was sold completely. And uh, thankfully for me, the Live Fish series was only a couple months away, and that was the time where I was really going to dive into the band. Um, but you know, and around that period, so this is summer two thousand and one. I was getting into Radiohead. I was getting into Wilco. And I was really forming, I was taking this huge leap forward from everything I'd listened to as a kid. I was moving beyond anything that was pop related, anything that was, you know, even alternative grunge. Some of it I would return to later and really appreciate it even more, but really taking this leap forward to trying to understand and trying to uh, appreciate music that could really take me someplace unexplainable in a lot of cases. Um, So that was really like... That was the
4: the moment for me. What about you, Matt? So I um in terms of musically where I was at uh before getting into fish, um, as I kinda get into my teenage years, we all talked about the grunge thing, I think, in um in the nineties, that was really important. There was a couple of threads that I think came up throughout my life that as I was thinking back on my musical preferences, I kind of realized led me in the direction of Fish. Um, One was, you know, what I mentioned before about just really being mesmerized by live music. But a lot of the live music and, and things that I was watching were these big prepared shows. So like the Pink Floyd Pulse, the Zoo TV, these like staged, you know, kind of like the, your typical rock show where it's like, they've kind of scripted out the whole thing, the, all the lighting changes, the lasers, the explosions, everything. I was just blown away by that kind of stuff. Plus, you know, presenting that to like a huge stadium full of people was amazing. Um, I started studying uh, music when I was a kid. Um, I studied piano and I was did a lot of like choral singing and stuff like that. So I got really exposed to classical music. And I think because of that, and the fact that my dad was into a lot of um, like prog rock stuff, I really got into the proggy stuff like Yes and Genesis, um, you know, Rush, Pink Floyd, obviously Pink Floyd is, you know, one of my favorite bands. Um, And so that stuff and then there was some bands that were popular then that I didn't realize were associated with this whole jam band thing I didn't know what the jam band thing was but looking back like I really loved like when they had their 15 minutes like I love the Spin Doctors Mm -hmm. and like I really got into Blues Traveler Um, I remember seeing I saw the Blues I saw Blues Traveler open for the Stones in 97 it was one of my first concerts and I thought they were just like
1: awesome Um, straight on till morning era
4: Yeah, well, I mean, I had, you know, four when it came out, and that was such a huge record, and I liked that. And I didn't realize that one of the reasons I liked it was because of listening to, like, the extended versions that they would do on their live album and stuff like that. Um, And what happened for me was, I, so, A, I'm not Jewish, so I didn't go to sleepaway camp, and B, I didn't have an older sibling, and so I didn't have, like, somebody to, like, influence me and be my... As we've, you know, I've caught it in other episodes, the Fish Sherpa. Yeah. So I had this perception that most people have out there that we still battle a little bit, which is like, oh, yeah, I knew about Fish, but they were just some sort of, like, druggy, you yeah. know, hippie band that people followed around, and their music isn't, music isn't actually good. And I was like, oh, okay, so Fish is a band, but they're not very good, and so True. I, I didn't listen All to them. All which is fair, I mean. Well, yeah, <laughs> to a certain degree. Some of those things are very accurate. A couple of Everything except (laughs) for the bad music. Um, But I I know that they're uh, not—they're sort of maligned in our scene, and I wouldn't say that I'm a fan anymore. But um, I was invited to go see Dave Matthews Band in '98, Mm. and I had this experience where suddenly this live music thing, where I would—the band had prepared the show and they knew how every single note was going to go my perceptions of live music were completely shattered because I saw this band that just kind of like meandered out on stage. And this was, you know, 98 DMB, like they still jammed a good good amount. I think they opened up with like a 30 minute version of something or other. I mean, it was, it was pretty good. So just to have that experience to see like, oh wow, you can have musicians that are just feeling it in the moment and communicating with each other visually and through their instruments. And that the audience kind of lets them have this space to create something really really turned things around for me um and so for as far as fish i i've mentioned in another episode how i actually i got kind of interested and curious about them i passed on a couple of times to see them live just on the i had other things going on and was like oh they come through a couple times a year or whatever it's you know i'll I'll catch them on the next one um so of course I, i definitely wish i'd gone to see them earlier Um, But then finally, like when I I think my senior year of high school, I finally met somebody that was like, oh, no, Fish is actually like really good. You should listen to them. And I got a live one and I got Hampton Comes Alive and um, started exploring it. And as we discussed with Katie Turr, I think she had said that the same thing happened. Like right when I got into the band, I remember sitting in my dorm room. my first semester of college watching the Vegas webcast, this (laughs) revolutionary thing that you could watch a live concert on your computer. And we had a bunch of people crowded in the dorm room and I was like, this is awesome. And I'm totally going to go see so many fish shows. And then they got to the Forbins and Trey announced the hiatus. And I was like, what you're telling me that I can't go see them now that like, they might be breaking up or something. Um, I also had my first Trey experience on that 2001 oh, really? Summer Tour yeah, at the Man in, That's um, a great show. Great great show and that that was where I was really sealed. I mean I was really getting into Fish but the first time that the show started and I saw a, literally a thousand barefoot children on the lawn where yeah. that song was conceived like I, it, that was it. Yeah. It was for I think me.
2: it was probably only about 998.
3: <laughs> it just didn't work in the <laughs> yeah. riding yeah. screen, Scream, yeah.
1: Was that the like tab show where they were playing like twenty minute versions of like Last Tube?
4: Yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, it was a four
1: song second. I sat at Great Woods it was great.
4: Um, Marshall Allen from Sun Ra, uh, Sun Ra Orchestra, set in for the um, uh, for the encore. It was an amazing show. Really, really awesome. But um...
3: I got like a twenty five minute burlap sack and pumps. That was it was him and Modeski at one point just going back and forth and kind of like what you were saying about Dave Matthews because I, I saw I saw them a few times before I saw Fish. Um, and that was kind of that first point of like, wait, they, a band just needs lights and instruments and then they can just play. And it just kind of blew my mind. Um, but watching him and Madeski just stare at each other, playing back and forth riff off of riff. None of it was pre-written. I remember just kind of like holding my head, just like mouth jaw hitting the floor. Like what is happening here? Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, Dave, what about you?
1: Okay. Well, let's see. In 1994, I was living and growing up in Connecticut, and the classic rock stations in Connecticut in the mid-'90s were very good. You had 99.1 WPLR, 105.9 WHCN. HCN in particular, Thursday nights at 11, they had the Floyd Void, which was just one straight hour of Pink Floyd, a lot of deep cuts. I always made a point to stay up and listen to that. And on Wednesdays, they had this thing called Laser Showcase, where they would just play a full album that was probably going to come out that Friday, and that's the first time I heard Hoist was on Laser Showcase. This is before the internet, before YouTube, before leaks, people could actually hear albums for the first time on the radio. So, you know, I was listening to a lot of classic rock, and I went and listened to my dad's vinyl, so... Neil Young, Krazy, Stills, Nash & Young, Zeppelin, Iron Butterfly, Almonds. And this was in addition to the stuff I already mentioned being like the Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains grunge type stuff. So I didn't have an older brother. I have a sister. She is three years younger than me. I love her very much. She does not share my musical uh, obsessions. So... Because I didn't have an older brother, what I did have in 1994, when I was um, going to be a, I was a freshman in high school, at that point, I had Jewish youth groups, and the guys, older guys in Jewish youth groups, ended up being my fish Sherpas, because they were the closest thing I had to having older brothers. In particular, uh, this one very close family friend, their son was two years older than me. Shout out to Jason Glazer. you're probably the closest thing to a real brother that I have. Jewish dude group groups are interesting in that all these guys listen to fish, and whereas if you were in a high school, if you were a jock, it made you popular in youth groups, the dudes that had the most success with the ladies all listened to tons and tons of fish tapes <laughs> <laughs> So what? Wait, I'm sorry. That's that's a real thing? Oh, it was very a real thing. So guys at names like, uh to Seth Hutner, David Paul Isaacs, Aaron Sullivan, who wasn't actually involved directly, but he was good friends with Jason Glazer. He gave me my first tape, which was uh, April 16, 1993, from Louisville, Kentucky. Mm. Um, we would drive around and listen to the studio records. And for some reason... Fourteen-year-old Jewish kids from Connecticut were obsessed with the song Sparkle. So I heard that a ton. I mean, initiation was like, okay, here's your first fish tape, here's your first joint, and here's a list of all my fish tapes, so when you get obsessed with this one, you can come back and I'll spin you X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, that being said, it seemed like what really, really clicked for me was listening to the studio records Me and my family went on um, a ski trip to Breckenridge, Colorado in February of 1994. And I listened to Rift on the way flying to Colorado, and I thought, this is okay. This is kind of sedate. I can maybe see it being okay on stage. It wasn't really clicking. But then, on the way back to Connecticut, I listened to Picture of Nectar, and by the end of Cavern, I was vibrating in my seat. I had never heard, especially at the end with the harmonies, the, um, you know, give the director, serpent deflector, yada, yada. I was just, I had my seatbelt on. I was about ready to break free from my seatbelt. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. This is the band for me. This synthesizes everything I like about classic rock and goofiness and good production all into one package I must have more, so the first tape was the April 16, 1993 tape, um, it was pretty typical setlist for a spring 1993 show, but it felt particularly epic, because that was my first time hearing Harry Hood, and my first time hearing, first time hearing Mike's song, there was a, a big Freebird jam at the end of Gumbo, which at the time I didn't realize they don't do that all the time, I was amazed how much faster this Torture sounded versus the, uh, like, like, studio version. And what was interesting is that uh, in the early 90s, there were still stores where you could go and, like, buy, like, bootleg tapes. You give them $2, and they would give you bootlegs as opposed to, you know, getting them through the mail. And on this tape, I think whoever made the J-Card wasn't a quote-unquote real fan because Mike's song was listed as Miles' song, And with the filler, normally you just expect to get filler, and that's that. It said, in addition to the whole show, you also get this filler. Like, by paying for it, the tape is being really nice to you and giving you some extra filler, which is, of course, bullshit. <laughs> so, also, um, in addition to that, there was a very popular double-disc bootleg that made the rounds amongst New England bootleg stores in the mid-90s called Follow Me to Gamehenge, which was actually April... Hmm? That was popular everywhere. Oh, yeah. okay. Everywhere. We
2: all had that. <laughs> yeah. thought, <I> <laughs>
1: yep. April 16, 1992, from Isla Vista, California, a soundboard recording slightly sped up. So it made all yeah. the songs sound like they were in different keys, but this was... I first learned about the story of Gamehenge, because they had a classic Forbin's Mockingbird I also had Cold as Ice, it had Acapella, it had Sleepy Monkey. I mean, it was a very complete set list for a 1992 show. And kind of like Brian was saying, I'm also a huge baseball fan. And what really got me into the band and kept me into the band is that I love Easter eggs and I love stats. And Fish is the type of band where you can go as deep as you want or as little as you want. And I love bands with histories and discographies, and just going back and learning the secret language, read the Doniak's Vice. I mean, there was a huge, there was a huge culture around it. And instead of playing Dungeons and Dragons or reading comic books, nothing against Dungeons and Dragons, but I'm getting, I'm getting some books over here. You know, that was my. That was my rabbit hole that I went down at age fourteen, and I'm still digging my way deeper down that rabbit hole, as you can tell.
2: So I don't I don't even have any notes for this section. So I think at first I was a deadhead. So by uh, ninety, I saw my first dead show in ninety one, summer ninety one, and I don't think I'd heard Fish yet. Um, but in my senior year. Picture of Nectar came out in the spring of my senior year of high school, and uh, a buddy of mine, this guy Ben, who did this a number of times, he would show up in school, he had bought this tape at the record tape store across the street from the high school, and he'd be like, have you heard this yet? And he would hold up a tape, and um, he did that with Blues Traveler, he's like, I think you'd like this one, and then, uh, and he did that with Picture of Nectar, and um, he was right on both counts, actually, (laughs) and... um, so yeah, he's the one who hipped me to the first Blues Traveler album. And he um and then he also hipped me to Picture of Nectar. And I listened to that, and by the time I got to college in the fall, that was one of the heavy rotate rotation records. It was that and uh Check Your Head and um I don't know. It was basically those two records. I did that and I listened to the spiritualized uh Album that came out that year as well Is that, um,
1: was that laser guided melodies? Laser guided
2: melodies <laughs> Wow <clears throat> um, And so
1: I wish I'd read that in college <laughs> that
2: was, my god it, it might have ruined you. Oh. Yeah uh, it, So I was listening to those a lot And you couldn't get away from hearing At least one of those Particularly those two The first two uh, Check your head And picture of Nectar But I didn't go see Fish I saw I did see the Spin Doctors in college You know that year and I saw, um, I saw a bunch of Grateful Dead. And it wasn't until 94 that I finally, you know, after continuing to, to grow and build a little bit of a fish tape collection, I had gotten the Follow Me to Gamehenge CD and all of these things. And uh, early 94, um, I had some friends who were talking about going. They were coming to the Patriot Center, which was a mile from my house. I bought a ticket and then uh, the band Uh, Had announced that they were they announced a show at Lincoln Theatre that week in DC And so I called my buddy Joel. I said, Joel, did you get a fish ticket yet? He said no He's like, all right, let me sell you my fish ticket. I need to buy a ticket to see the band. I Couldn't afford to go to both. So I sold him my fish ticket for the April 94 Patriot Center show in uh, Fairfax and I we met at the Patriot Center Which was kind of central to where we both lived and I walked over to the box office and bought a ticket to see the band so I didn't see fish again at all until that fall, at the same place, um, and I saw three dead shows that week. So there were still priorities, but I was <laughs> I was a fish fan before I went into that room, and I was a fish hit when I walked out. Mm. Um, it, yeah, yeah. That I mean that's it. It's I, I had already had you know you guys talk about your first show. Giving you an awareness of like that a band can jam, and I already had that concept. Fish does it differently, um, and I was I was ready for it. I was primed, so I walked in, you know, ready to be sold, and they they had no trouble giving me the keys and sending me off in that car. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, just to follow up on that, uh, my first fish show was June 28, nineteen ninety five, from Jones Beach, and by that time I had already had about fifteen tapes, so I kind of knew what I was getting into. I didn't get the, um, oh, my God, what the hell is this? Because I already had the tapes. I had a live one. I had all the studio records. Even still, every song at that show felt like a gift, which in retrospect is ridiculous. Remember, the second song was Foam. We just went, Foam, Foam, holy shit, they're playing Foam. <laughs> they played Foam all the fucking time in the mi- early 90s. <laughs> and it was Reba, you're trying to everybody, Reba, Reba, oh, my God, oh, my God. Just being... 16 at your first show having it in front of your face and also remember at the time Axila 2 was my least favorite song on hoist and we were driving up in the car and i said guys i really don't like axola 2 i know they don't ever open shows with that song but if they open axola 2 i'm gonna rush the stage and like choke trey and they opened that show at axola 2 Serves you yeah, right exactly. you. Serves you right Yeah exactly Serves you being a jerk Exactly
4: <laughs> So I, I have a question So Jonathan You got into fish I, I think which was Sort of a standard Or natural way That a lot of deadheads In mm-hmm. the ni- early 90s Did Which is Around 94, 95 Either through just Fish rising Or Jerry You know Um Progressing till the (laughs) To the To the immortal plane That he exists on now Um, (laughs) Then getting into fish Did you So all of the other guys um, Did you get into Fish or the dead first RJ The dead
1: Um, Same time Exact Fish very much, so. and I was
4: fish too. I was ne- I I didn't have anybody to influence my dead stuff. They weren't around anymore. I got into fish, and then it was like, oh, I feel like I should be listening to the Grateful Dead too, because that's like a thing. You should, and be. then I got I explored him, of course, became a huge fan. Like right, or very like within a year of getting into fish. It took it took
3: me a while to get into the dead. Actually, it was the pace of it. I loved how aggressive fish could be, yeah. and it it honestly wasn't until. The last five years that I really started to dive in and listen to them on a regular basis and started to listen to shows beyond just like the officially released stuff. And right.
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was certainly Fish was more, I was more into Fish. The Dead was kind of the same because the Jewish Youth Group guys listened to The Dead in addition to Fish. <clears throat> I remember, I think my first Dead Tape might have been something like May 5th, 1990, from California State University which is not a special tape at all. It was not a great 90s show. And then eventually I got a tape from Europe 72. I was like, oh, okay. This is this is where the goods are right here.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, like, the the 92 to 94 year, there was an ecosystem of music that I was exposed to, which I assume everyone else was too, but it's, they weren't. But in my head, that's how it works. Like, there was, there was The Dead, there was Dave Matthews, the, the most like interesting part of that was like Medeski Martin and Wood, which is still one of my favorite bands and a band yeah. that I think um, gets not as enough credit. But that was like as I was discovering Fish. I feel like De- the Dead and Medeski Martin and Wood—they were like Fish was in the middle of that sort of just in terms of approach and 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 substance of music. I've always been a, like a huge jazz fan and and became more of one after I discovered Fish, but. There was like this, you know, everyone I knew kind of listened to those same those same bands. Um,
1: it's almost like MOW was for those who really got it and they want to kind of go to like the next jazzier level, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, that's where yep. you go from there. Yeah, Friday
0: yeah. Afternoon in the Universe is still like, you know, it's so, so great. It's still one of my favorite albums, but...
3: It's still one of my top five shows I've ever seen in my entire yeah. life. I saw them play from midnight to five o'clock in the morning at Bonnaroo 2003. Nice. Wow. And... For a long, long time, probably until I saw the uh, 831 2012 Fish Show, that was the best concert I'd ever
2: seen in my entire life. I've seen a couple good modesky shows. I saw them with the Roots and Sipa Mato down at Browns Island one time. It was just beautiful, beautiful day show, so fun. Yeah, but
0: yeah, I think so. I I, like I transitioned into it pretty seamlessly from the Dead. Really, I was listening to Without a and. Europe '72, Of course, before they released every show of Europe 72, there was one Europe 72 yeah. <laughs> double disc album. And that was really cool. Um, the Morning Dew on there is still, man, one of the best. But so the, like for me, it just it kind of happened very organically. It wasn't like I didn't really have fish sherpas, really. It was more like it just kind of it felt like it happened organically. I have a lot of friends who were a little older who gave me tapes and that sort of thing but I feel like I discovered it and, and Brad I think would say the same thing we were very much um listening to the same music from age you know 12 till now but you were, you were carrying each other forward weren't you? yeah yeah we were carrying each other forward that's what I meant to say <laughs> um so yeah so it's pretty interesting because there's obviously like you know we've talked a lot about in this podcast about how we've we arrived at Fish and our sort of what led us there and I think It'll be interesting to to pick up for part two when we talk about sort of where, where fish has led us, um, which I'm really excited about, but it's been really cool to just hear all of your stories about how you, how you, how you, how you got to where you are with fish. Um, yeah,
1: this was extremely fun. Thank you for having us on. There is nothing I'd rather do in a Saturday afternoon than trade, trade fish stories with like-minded individuals
3: yeah thank you guys so much for having us. This is great to hear your guys's uh kind of journey to fish and to talk about it and kind of go through the memories ourselves. This was a lot of fun
0: It also I just underscore the fact that we're together and also David brewed beer himself and we're drinking it and it's delicious so thank you for contributing it's quite good oh fantastic thank
1: you this was uh it was for those interested it was in a black i p a with all simcoe hops called The System Only Dreams in Total Dankness. Named after the fourth song on the new national record, Sleepwell Beast. Really, really good. Probably talk about it on Beyond the Pond. You should listen to that band.
4: I feel like that's (laughs) and that podcast cliffhanger that we need. Yeah, exactly. Get you you ready for the next episode. So,
0: (laughs) yeah. So we hope you guys enjoyed this um, sort of crossover episode, and we'll, um, you know, we'll be back on Beyond the Pond soon. So listen for that. And uh, thank you guys for coming to DC. And um, and this has been fun. So I hope everyone out there enjoyed it, and I hope everyone continues to keep on rocking. Maybe I listen more than you think. And I can tell that somebody sold you We said we'd never let anyone in We said we'd only die of lonely secrets This is